and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. It's been a while since we've had a two-parter. I'm so excited. This story is by Heinrich von Wolfcastle, who also wrote fan favorite Marvin's Tavern. If you're new to the show and looking for episode recommendations for some of the older episodes, I suggest going back and listening to that one because it's such a great and creepy story. So, what does Mr. Wolfcastle have for us this time? Well, first of all, I recommend wearing headphones for this one to get the full binaural effect of this terrifying story. Honestly, I recommend headphones every week if you can. I know sometimes you can't. I listen to podcasts out loud sometimes too, but I do a lot of uh, binaural stuff with the sounds and it is more effective in headphones if you can listen to them in headphones. If not, then that's okay too. Um, But yeah, just a little suggestion. Second, if you're one of those people who gets the heebie-jeebies looking into mirrors or reflective surfaces at night then this one is sure to give you nightmares or at least make you incredibly unsettled next time you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I know that routine. You just keep your eyes down while you wash your hands. Never let your eyes stray to the mirror. You never know what you'll see standing behind you. Um, By the way, I pre-recorded this episode, um, because I am actually, as you're hearing this, I am out of town at my parents' house visiting. And the few days that I was recording it and working on it, my husband was out of town for work. So, and I'm a night owl. And so it would be like, (laughs) it would be like 3 a.m. And I'd be working on this and I'd realize it was 3 a.m., you know, the devil's hour or whatever you want to call it, where I've been told since I was a child that between the hours of three and four, that's when all the spirits come out and all the scary stuff happens. And I, that superstition has stuck with me well into adulthood. So I would have to stop working on this very scary story, which is much scarier in the middle of the night, by the way, even just listening to my own voice, tell it to myself. And, um, yeah, I had to, I had to keep stopping and then I'd just stay up until like 4am watching, random YouTube stuff until I could fall asleep and the ghosts couldn't get me. (laughs) All right, now let's discover together the things in the attic. She pulled the ladder down from the ceiling cringing as it groaned in protest. The general rule for sneaking into the attic in the middle of the night was to be as quiet as possible. But she wasn't practiced at it, and the ladder wasn't aligned with her mission. She pumped her foot on the bottom step to make sure it would hold her weight. Once she felt it was secure, she placed a flashlight in her mouth and shimmied her way into the ceiling, shuffling across patches of insulation and strategically placed floorboards, stray nails, cobwebs, and things that crawl. God, how she hated that attic. The storm had woken her, a large blast of thunder that shook the whole house. But it was her grief that kept her awake. 
Something strange happens when death takes up residence in your home. The atmosphere somehow becomes thicker, and everyday movements feel like you're doing them through water. Even mundane chores, like taking out the garbage, require a new level of effort. She was still learning about the strangeness of it all, like how she could be exhausted and wide awake at the same time. Maybe that's what death does. It forces some kind of juxtaposition of contrasting things. You're hungry, but you don't want to eat. And you're alive, but you wish you were dead. She swung her flashlight in an arc to clear away spiderwebs. In the middle of the night, the sounds of the house were more pronounced and even more so from the silent attic. The hollow plunk of rain hitting gutters. The creaking of the roof straining in the wind. It felt like a lifetime had passed since she was a Girl Scout. But she still counted the seconds between flashes of lightning and clashes of thunder. What was the point of that anyway? It was clear the storm was on top of the house and not happening miles away. Her beam stopped on half-torn boxes plastic bins, and large shapes covered in protective cloths. Flares of lightning lit the attic in wholesale flashes. As a little girl, she would have been frightened by what could have been hiding under the cloths or behind the boxes, by what might be watching her from the darkest corners of the room. Another crash of thunder rattled things in the attic and shook the floorboards under her slipper-covered feet. She moved the beam from one cloth-covered mountain shape to the next. Her parents had a tendency to hold on to things long past their due. We bury our people in the ground, and their things in the attic in this family, she thought. She made her way past tall, vertical stacks of newspapers and magazines, and found the specific cloth-covered mountain she was looking for. She hunched over to avoid the beams in the ceiling, and waddled towards a tall, thin shape covered by a white sheet. It was easy to spot, not because of its size and figure, but because the white sheet was the cleanest in the attic, not yet aged or concealed by dust or cobwebs. As she approached it, and raised her hand to reach for it. She considered her horror if a hand were to reach back at her. She scoffed at the idea, but shrank back with the slamming of another sharp clap of thunder. Oh my god, Ash, get it together, she whispered to herself. She reached back for the cloth and tore it away in one motion to reveal her grandmother's antique cheval mirror. It looked just as she remembered it, standing tall and proud with its clouded glass mirror plate secured in its mahogany frame. Looking into it now, she could have just as well been a little girl again, wearing her grandmother's rose-colored shoes and pink scarves. A smile formed with the memory and began to quiver. Tears formed in the corners of her eyes, and 
Her throat swelled with sadness at the realization that her grandmother, no longer and never again, would stand behind her in its reflection. She knew that, but somehow seeing her solitary figure gave her a felt sense of that loss, something that she would later struggle to find the words to express to her friend Val. She would have begun to sob if not for being distracted by seeing herself cry in the reflection of the mirror. The loss of her grandmother was her first real confrontation with death, and it became something she had to wrestle with, negotiating how much she allowed herself to experience her own sense of mourning, and how much she allowed others to see her grieve. She wiped at her eyes with her wrists, noting that her hands were covered in dirt and grime. Rain continued to rail at the roof above her, and somehow in this moment, she felt all right. She uncovered another one of death's strange juxtapositions. The most normal she felt in the three days following her grandmother's death came during a thunderstorm in the middle of the night as she sat on a cracked plywood board in the attic by her grandmother's old mirror. The realization reminded her of something she had just read on a message board for New Agers. Someone had posted something along the lines of saying that with all forms of art, we try to create externally what we feel internally. As a little girl, she was forced into piano lessons by her mom, and she approached the instrument with the same excitement she had when she was given a bag of socks on her ninth birthday. Well, you need them, her mom had assured her. What she really wanted was to play guitar in a punk band, but her mom had a way of silencing those aspirations with her scoffs, eye rolls, and the scripted, Ashley, please. So maybe her real calling was in performance art. She made sure to make a mental note of that as a point of discussion for drama class. Alas, she found what she was looking for. An item connected to the person she lost, which also happened to be a mirror, the second thing she needed. And a quiet space to try to contact the dead. She sat down with her legs folded and placed herself in front of the mirror with a flashlight shining upwards from the ground. In that position, she could see her face reflected in the mirror and not much else. Following the instructions from the website, she began the process with an invitation for spirits to reveal themselves to her. She rested her hands in her lap and allowed herself to relax. With her eyes closed, she took a deep breath and stated her intention. I am here to speak with my grandmother. I will only receive messages from her. I will not see, hear, or acknowledge any other spirits. With her intention stated, she opened her eyes and gazed upon her reflection in the mirror. A few people who posted on the site said it took somewhere between two and five minutes to work. 
It wasn't a complicated process, just one you had to be open for. If you don't believe it will work, it won't, she was cautioned. Well, she was ready to believe. She was well aware that she wished to speak to her grandmother, to tell her for at least one definite last time that she loved her and missed her. There wasn't much else to say anyway. Her grandmother had been old and sick and getting sicker. There was no surprise in her death, and Ashley's sadness wasn't for her grandmother. It was for herself, for missing the one person in the world she felt she could count on above and beyond anyone else. But more profoundly, if this mere experiment worked, if she really could see or contact the dead, then that would prove that there was more to this life after all. Her parents made her attend church more than she would have liked, and she excelled in Bible school. But the habit of attendance could not force a sense of religious belief in her. Her parents were some of the most religious people she had ever met. Yet they were also some of the unhappiest people she knew. So either this religion thing was nonsense and just another way for her parents to try to control her, or her parents were morons. Sometimes she suspected both things were true. At first glance, her face reflected back to her and appeared as her own. Her sleek jawline was highlighted in the beam of her flashlight, her cheekbones accentuated by shadows, and her eyes made even more dark and piercing. She noticed the smooth skin that ran across her forehead, no longer riddled with the traces of acne now that summer had ended and she no longer wore a headband to play tennis. If it were up to her, she would have played lacrosse instead, but that was unladylike, and so it was a summer of tennis and headbands and acne. It had been a while, she realized, since she looked at herself in the mirror without a purpose, just noticing her face and herself without mindfully picking apart everything that she wished looked different. She imagined how much her face had changed since she was a child. Back when she used to wish that she could see what she would look like as an adult or as an elderly woman. It was in the midst of that thought that her reflection began to change, softening in some places, rounding in others. It was as if someone had placed a squirming mask over her. She started to gasp as her face evolved in front of her, but she paused her reaction to not interrupt the process. Steadily, her face began to transform into others' faces. She would appear older and more mature, only to devolve and reform to a more youthful appearance a moment later. She watched in amazement as her contours grew and shrank. It was real. And it was happening, and she gazed on with eager anticipation for her grandmother's face to appear before her own. As the cycle of changing faces cascaded over her own, one face presented for a second time and lingered. It was the face of an old, haggard woman, 
Whereas the faces emerged as mass spawned from her own image, this face seemed to exist in its own right and stared back at her, threatening Ashley before dissolving into the next face, one of a woman in her twenties. The young woman's expression rotated, an age to a middle-aged woman. Just as quickly as Ashley noticed the seriousness of her expression, she melted into a youthful child. The stream of faces continued to transform over her own, and Ashley found herself imagining what her life would be like if the faces she saw, indeed, were her own. She watched in bewilderment as the lines in her forehead deepened and softened, and her cheeks rose and descended until the haggard woman's face returned once more. Again, the old woman stared back at Ashley, her mouth twisted and shifting as if attempting to speak to her. This time, the face did not waver like the others had. It hovered over Ashley's features and stayed. Ashley felt the flesh of her arms rise under the woman's gaze. Her eyes were dark and deep and spilling over with disdain. Ashley opened her mouth and shook her head in an attempt to knock the face off her and gasped when she saw that she still wore the woman like a mask. Her lips frozen in a snarl. In a moment of panic, she slapped herself on the cheek and shut off the flashlight. Ashley sat in the dark of the attic for seconds that seemed to stretch on for years while rolling waves of thunder continued to grumble in the distance. She brought her hand to her mouth and felt the shape of her jaw and cheeks and lips, which all felt like her own. She wanted to leave the attic and return to her bedroom, but could not find her way without the light. She picked the flashlight up from the ground, but hesitated to turn it on in case she might reveal something that she did not want to see. She was alone when she entered the attic, but she had a distinct feeling that she was no longer by herself. No, there was something there with her, something hovering and breathing down her neck without breath. Ashley held the flashlight in her hands. The light could reveal something bad, she considered. Oh, it will reveal something bad. She hated the thought of what she might find in the light, still feeling that shadowed and haggard face hanging over her shoulder and whispering insanity into her ear. Ashley moved her thumb to the switch and shut her eyes as she flicked it on. Slowly, she opened one eye after another, only to realize that the flashlight no longer worked. No light shone. Instead, she sat in the darkness, barely able to make out the shadows around her, until another flash of lightning lit the attic. In her reflection in the mirror, she saw the face of the woman behind her, the mask of a dark figure with a long and twisted mouth draping over her and rising. 
Ashley screamed under the roar of another wave of thunder as she scrambled on the sheets of plywood, catching a spiderweb in her face. She threw herself sideways, away from where the figure floated and away from the mirror. She felt a sharp pain bite at her leg and she let out a yelp. It was just a spider or a nail, she reassured herself. She reached a hand out to feel her way towards the entrance of the attic while moving closer to the small, square hole in the floor illuminated by the subtle glow of the hallway. Please don't feel anything. Please don't feel anything. She pleaded. As she crept forward on her hands and knees, reaching her hand forward again and sifting through the air in front of her, a spider crawled across her fingers. She shook it with a sob escaping from her lips. Kneeling, she glanced over her shoulder at the mirror and was thankful that she couldn't see it in the dark. She continued shuffling her way to the ladder in front of her. She dangled her feet through the hole of the ceiling, terrified that someone, something, was in the hallway waiting for her. She couldn't shake the feeling that, even without seeing anyone near her, she knew she was in company. It wasn't just the old woman. It was all of them. She was in a sea of swimming, formless bodies. Ashley shimmied down the ladder, sliding her hands down the rails and nearly losing her footing. Before her foot left the last peg, she was racing back to her bedroom and losing a slipper along the way. The hall never felt so long, seeming to stretch on and on as she dashed for her door and shut it behind her. The entrance to the attic was wide open, and the ladder was still set. Her parents would find it in the morning and ask questions. There was no time to care about that. She needed to get out of here. She'll explain that she thought she heard a noise, a leak from the rain maybe, and just wanted to check it out for herself. Oh, it was nothing, but better safe than sorry. She'd tell them with a smile. But for God's sake, was whatever happened in the attic confined to the attic? Would they follow her with the ladder down? Ashley charged into her bed and pulled the blankets over her head. She wanted to pretend that nothing was wrong and that she hadn't seen anything in that mirror. But the experience was undeniable. They did follow her. And she still felt them there with her stirring the very air she breathed. She pulled back a corner of the blanket to peek into the room in hopes of convincing herself that it was all in her imagination. But she could not will herself to open her eyes to see what might be there with her. She didn't have to look to know that it was real anyway. She felt the web of their silhouetted masses crawling over her. Mondays are hard enough to muster through in their own right, but this particular Monday was all the more challenging while moving through a fog of her bereavement. Her parents did not afford her the opportunity to stay home from school for a mental health day. That was the sort of thing that they couldn't relate to. If they were sad, they somehow fought it away to the point that Ashley couldn't detect it. 
It seemed they had a tendency to actively fake their okayness in all sorts of life situations, utilizing an arsenal of false smiles and distant hugs. Maybe it was from being on the receiving end of their performances that Ashley found her passion for drama and her skill for acting. A mental health day might have been good for her, and she weighed the idea of faking sickness But after the weirdness of everything that happened the night before, she didn't really feel like being stuck at home either. Then again, what actually happened last night? She moved like a zombie through her morning routine, making an effort to avoid the mirror in her bathroom as she got ready for her day. It's not Mondays that suck, Val suggested. It's your life. Usually, Ashley would have a counterquip or a counterpunch, but it just wasn't there. Ordinarily, she would bring up something about a disappointing TV show or the fight she was having with her parents about the role she was going to audition for in the upcoming school play, or maybe she would make some snide comment about her disgust with Mr. Sanchez for flirting with Tracy, the head cheerleader who sits front and center in their social studies class. But today... All Ashley could do was shift her gaze from the bus window towards Val with a smirk. In fact, that whole fight she had with her mom over the weekend about which roles she was allowed to audition for seemed to fall from her awareness altogether. Okay, you don't have to get dramatical about it, Val said. She could see Ashley's defeat and acknowledge it as they rode the bus in a comfortable silence. The whole way to school, Ashley couldn't focus on anything other than what happened last night. She played with the idea of telling Val about it since she was having a hard time talking about anything else. But she was afraid Val would think she was having some kind of mental breakdown. Fortunately, the bus was running late to get to school, and there wasn't much downtime before the bell rang anyway. Ashley made her way from her locker to social studies and took her assigned seat. After attendance, Mr. Sanchez allowed her to go to the nurse. She had a reputation for being a solid and reliable student, and Ashley was appreciative of the benefits that came with that reputation when she needed them, like being allowed to go to the nurse's office when you're not feeling well. Instead of going straight there, she loitered in the hallway and pulled out her cell phone. She wanted to know if what she remembered happening the night before had actually happened, or if it was some weird, lucid dreaming thing. According to a few websites, it might have been something as harmless as a waking dream, where even though you're awake, part of your brain is still dreaming, and you have trouble differentiating dream from reality. It would make sense. She was tired, and it was the middle of the night when everything happened, when her brain was used to dreaming anyway. And she was under a lot of stress, She reminded herself. She wrestled with those redeeming qualifiers and did her best to hang on to them in order to dismiss the whole thing. When she had first awoke, she had hoped she hadn't even been in the attic at all and that it was a dream altogether. But her father yelling about the ladder to the attic being down robbed her of that wish. Part of her was afraid that she would be robbed of this wish too. Indeed, as she made her way from the hallways 
towards the nurse's office and paused in front of the window of a dark classroom. The reality of it all became undeniable. It was a complete accident, and she didn't even mean to look in the reflection of the window. But she saw it. The haggard woman was behind her. Ashley muffled a cry and ran instinctively to the nearest bathroom. As she made her way in, she turned her head from the mirrors and darted into the closest stall. She was alone there, and she could allow herself to cry. She had already begun to sob anyway. In a moment of frustration, she took her cell phone out of her back pocket and held it up in front of her to see herself. Her hands were shaking, and she had a hard time steadying it. She was too afraid to look at her image in the phone and decided that she would take a picture and look at that instead. With her head turned to the side and crying into the corner of her shoulder, she clicked away a series of selfies. When she finished, she bobbled her phone in her unsteady hands as she looked for the picture she took. The first one entirely missed her and only showed the top of the stall. In the next picture, she caught a piece of her right shoulder and a dark shadow hanging behind her. The third one, though, that one was square on. The image showed the haggard woman's dark and disheveled hair hanging all over Ashley. The woman's mouth was open, revealing a long tongue reaching towards Ashley's forehead. At the sight of the image, Ashley let out a horrific, howling cry and began weeping. <laughs> Leave me the fuck alone! She screamed. Her voice echoed off the walls of the bathroom and back at her. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Heinrich von Wolfcastle. Um, remember to check back next week for the harrowing conclusion to this incredibly terrifying tale. I look forward to seeing you then. Um, so yeah, follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There's a few Facebook subgroups now I've talked about. Um, and drink your water and I'm not going to keep you too long. Oh, also, if you, so Patreon will be back up by the end of probably mid-October, I'm going to say. We'll just shoot for mid-October, maybe a little before that, but we'll say mid-October, around time for Halloween season. Um, so, for those of you who were previous patrons, thank you again, and those of you who are looking to become patrons, feel free to shoot me an email or post in um, the Facebook group or tweet at me, post in, you know, on Instagram, uh, whatever you want to do for any ideas you might want to see, things that you're looking to see for Patreon, um, things that you want out of, you know, your, the things that you patronize. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but just 
throw out some stuff. I have some ideas, but I'd also love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you would like, what you would expect. Do you want, last time there were no, I didn't do any video aspects or video type things. Um, would you want some videos? I'm looking to into doing some more video things in the future. So would you want more videos for Patreon or not more? Cause there was literally only one and it was to say goodbye to Patreon. Um, but videos in the future, would you want, um, I'm going to continue once I start doing ads again, I will definitely continue the legacy of before and do ad free episodes. Um, still going to do bonus episodes. I'm going to, for those of you who remember, I will continue Frankenstein. We will finish Frankenstein. I will put up all the parts that I've already done. Um, and we will finish Frankenstein together and us and Dr. Frankenstein and that poor monster will ride off into the sunset together. I promise. Okay, this has gone on for long enough. I told you I wasn't going to ramble for too long, and here I am. Um, All right, I'm going to let you go. Go drink some water. Go get some sleep. And sweet dreams.